Welcome to the XY Advisor podcast. To join a global community of financial advisors sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice, head to xyadvisor.com. podcast is proudly sponsored by Spider ETFs. From ETFs to model portfolios, Spider relentlessly pursues new ways to provide solutions to investors' most complex investment challenges. And for investors who want to align their values to their investment strategies, the Spider S&P ASX200 ESG Fund or E200 can be a sustainable alternative to Australia's flagship benchmark. This material is general information only. Investing involves risks including the risk of principal. Investors should consider the PDS available SSGA.com before making an investment decision. Products issued by State Street Global Advisors, Australia Services Limited, AFSL number 2 G'day, how's it going? What do you know, Striker Like Clayton here from XY, getting chat to Glenn from Fox and Hair. My man, good to good to see you. Thank you for having me. Good to see you too. Yeah. So um I was I was chatting the other day about setting up a practice um, and the amount of work that goes into just getting it off the ground and it recalled me to the time where you and Jess, uh, you know, before you launched, there was such an obscene amount of work that went into before, you know, anyone even considered uh, becoming a client. I was out of the, I was out of the industry. Like, I mean, I, I was looking at, I was like, my God, if this is the competition, I'm retiring now on top because it's either now I walk out, you know, on top or, or, or two years from now, all my clients are gone. Uh, and I'm obviously being facetious, but um, the, the amount of work that you, you did put in was awesome. And uh, it's so cool now to, to sort of look back a handful of years later and be like, huh, yeah, all right. Well, that, that, that worked. Yeah. So we, um, before we launched, so Jess and I, the whole concept of Fox and Hair came about. Uh, we were both BDMs in Macquarie. We used to look after similar turf. We actually did a lot of work looking after kind of advisors in regional New South Wales. So road trips out to Dubbo and Bathurst and Orange and got to a point where we were like, you know, on a, in a, on a five, five hour road trip, you get to know each other and we're just having a chat, like what's next. And um, yeah, that's where Fox and Hair was born. So for, before we launched for about two and a half years, we'd catch up every single week talking about everything from, the name to the experience to running focus groups with ideal yeah. members talking about you know what they would expect from an advisor what do they think of advisors um would they go see an advisor um what the what our office would smell like, like yeah. random shit like that because yeah. we're like super excited about kind of building this uh building this business so yeah you're right there was a there was quite a long lead time before we even uh signed that first member on yeah, which, which was so impressive. Um, and like I said before, to now see how it's worked out. I mean, you just briefly mentioned that your team's expanded in the last few days or weeks. Yes. Well, so, so Fox and Hair turns three uh, on the 23rd of October, um, which is super exciting. Two years ago, it was just Jess and I. About 12 months ago, there was, uh, we had one and a half uh, support staff. Um, at the moment, there's 10 of us in the business and we've just hired an associate uh, advisor and two um, quite experienced advisors as well. So 
um, from just Jess and I three years ago, as of next week, will be 13. Man, that is so, <laughs> <laughs> that is so, so is amazing, a- isn't it? Yeah, amazing, overwhelming, exciting, <laughs> scary, yeah, everything yeah. you can kind of think of. It's, but I mean, um, if that's here, here, like off the top of my head, here's one thing that you guys do really differently to anyone else. For example, meetings early in the morning, even on a weekend, mm-hmm. is totally fine. Yeah, so well, I start my work day at 5.30. I am a morning person. Um, our members get get me at my best in the morning. I don't start doing client um, member meetings until seven o'clock in the morning, but look, I tap out by about six. Like I can't, I'm not an evening person. Jess is actually the opposite. She prefers um, to kind of start a day slow, but she gets a lot of work done at the end of the day. Um, and we are still doing member meetings um, on Saturday, Saturday mornings. As yeah. Well. That's so. to me, to me, that was always one of the really distinguishing factors and, and, and what a small thing, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like to, to make as a distinguishing factor. And yet I don't know anyone else that does it. And so to me, that was just such a, wow, your, your entire experience down to the fact that you're available when typically a lot of people struggle to get time availability, except on a weekend. And, and so yeah. you and Jess said, well, actually, rather than trying to fight that, what we'll do is we'll just facilitate that. And that's yeah. I mean, such a small thing realistically, but it's had such a, it's, it's, it sends such an amazing message for nothing. Just, just being flexible. And again, everyone's different, but for these advisors that are just joining us now, there'll be the same level of flexibility, understanding, obviously we can't expect, be expecting them to work five, you know, six, six days a week, but if they want to take a Monday off and they work the Saturday, I'm cool with that. Like that doesn't matter. Just yeah. work like a work in what your diary in, in with the members diary and kind of come meet me on common ground. Yeah. No, look, I mean, it's one of many things that I think uh, is such a, an amazing example of what, uh, you know, we, the new breed of advisor does. Right. Mm. So uh, I love everything that, that you guys are doing over there. Now, the reason why I got you on specifically today is ESG. So ESG is, we've done a a short five-part series before. We're doing another five-part series now on ESG investing. And I've got to say, it is bigger than you imagine, but it's still relatively early in, in, let's call it, mainstream adoption. So we're not talking that it's massive at this stage, but it's, it's to a point where you're getting more and more products are releasing I should say more and more brands are releasing products and it's, it's getting a little bit, uh, the, the standard of what meets, you know, an, an ESG investment now is, is mm. constantly increasing. But I think the realization that capitalism is the solution to a lot of the, the problems that we see in the world, rather than it being the, the enemy it's sort of a movement I would say that's really been adopted. I myself truly do think that entrepreneurs are there to solve the world's problems. We're not there to create problems for the world and, um, and, and using capitalism to change the world, I think is, is a much better concept and it's much more effective than just say picking up a poster that says, don't burn down the something, Mm. right? Like whatever that is, you know, it's, it's, it's okay. But, when uh, Australian super comes around and goes, well, actually you, you just bombed that ancient uh, mm. Aboriginal, uh, you know, site that was really important. 
well, now heads are going to roll. And so there's, yeah. there's two different methods and one has a much greater chance of success. And I kind of think that is where the conversation is going. And, yeah. and, and, and oh. if I think about where you guys are placed as a business, that's always been pretty big for you. Well, at least you were some of the early not, adopters. Not pretty big. It is front of mind. Wow. Um, right. And very, um, very front of mind and also something that we consciously have uh, conversations with, you know, a significant number of our members. So just, just in terms of to kind of give, uh, give you context for the demographic we work with, 80% of our members would be in their 30s. So people reach out to us wow. when they're like, oh, yeah, I'm starting to earn some pretty good money. I've got to get my shit sorted. That, yeah. is, that is Fox and Ham members to a T. Um, and if we think about um, that demographic, you know, with all the climate change rallies, you know, here in Australia, there was 300,000 people that went to those climate change uh, rallies, which seemed like a lifetime ago now. Um, but they were also held around the world in over 150 countries, right? Yeah. So millions of people were turning up to these, um, with many of those being students, you know, you know, some of them being as young as kind of eight years old. And these, these people are going to be the teachers and the politicians and the CEOs of tomorrow. So that, that trend towards kind of ESG and that, that kind of social environmental responsibility is, is really front of mind for this, for this demographic. And interestingly, um, so the Responsible Investment Association of Australia estimates that nearly three trillion Australian dollars, three trillion Australian dollars is invested in ethical strategies around the globe. Yeah, right. And growing. Yeah. So this is front of mind for us because of the demographic, I would suggest, because of the demographic that we, that, that we work with, but that demographic is only going to expand. Yeah. Um, the, the amount of research that I've done and, and been lucky enough to sort of learn as I've been doing these uh, ethical investment series, um, the large majority of the conversation, or actually the large, uh, the large majority of people, when they think ESG, they think of the E. Mm. It's the first one. And I, I think I saw somewhere that essentially 80% of uh, the investment decisions of why people are attracted to environmental, social and governance investments is because of the E. Um, mm-hmm. I think one of the interesting things about, uh, you know, being gay is that mm. you can focus maybe more on the S. I think, I think yeah. you've probably got more of a tilt because um, I know... Uh, more of a bend, you could say. <laughs> <laughs> Potentially, correct. It's <laughs> uh, so, and so uh, undoubtedly, and we've spoken about this in the past, like you have attracted you know, that audience as well, right? Uh, specifically, yeah. and, and you've gone after it. And so how much of a role has the s Mm. in your investment decisions as well because a lot of people can talk to the e but i was kind of interested to find out what are the conversations and what are the Mm -hmm. attraction mechanisms on the social element of the esg strategy yeah so if we think about what is the social so this is this is if you know if you kind of try and define it it's around um examining how a company manages its relationship with employees suppliers, customers, and the communities in terms of where it operates. So if, I, if we think of it from kind of that LGBTIQ lens, 
then you know that that social criteria could be you know supporting companies that supported marriage equality for example here in australia right so you know and there was so if you looked at some of those companies that you know signed signed off on kind of the petition etc um there was talk within the LGBTI community to support those companies. So, you know, it's, it's sometimes referred to as kind of the pink dollar, but spend that pink dollar in those support, those companies that are actively supporting us and to the same token, actually avoid those companies that are uh, maybe not, not don't have the same values as, as the community. Wow. If you think, if you think beyond that, so we, we have a lot of conversations with, you know, a lot of, um, you know, young women looking to invest again, talking about, you know, this, this concept around ESG. If we think about the concept of social, we need to think about the, the concept of gender equality. Yes. Um, and also looking at, you know, are these companies that we're investing in, do they have a diverse board? Is their leadership um, diverse? Do they have significant kind of pay gap issues? Um, and then if we kind of build, build upon that, we hosted an ethical event uh, last year and one of the panellists was um, for a company that, that, that kind of looked at fair trade around the coffee industry. So this is, again, starting to have that conversation around the, you know, the supply networks and things like that. So environment is very front of mind for a lot of people, but the social is still something that um, I think we're probably... Uh, having conversations about, but maybe not as um, maybe not as front of mind when thinking about it from an investment perspective. But there's absolutely no reason why we shouldn't be also taking that into account when determining where to where to invest our money. Yeah. Do Do you guys? Um, so there are some people that brand themselves as an ethical, uh, like it's in the name, right? So it's, you know, ethical mm. financial planning, for example, yeah. right? So you yeah. guys chose, uh, one of the greatest names I've heard for financial planning, Fox and Hare. Actually, who came up with that? Which one out of you two? Neither of us. <laughs> <laughs> so it was actually one of our much more creative friends. She, um, she came, came up with the name. She spoke to Jess and Jess was like, Oh my God, that's it. Jess called me. I was like, Oh, I'm not sure, but then uh, it just takes me a little while to warm up to things, but now I absolutely love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, 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 fair enough. Um, but it, it, it's, not, it's not something that, um, like if I go onto your website, mm. it's, it's not the first thing I come across, right? It's not, it's mm-hmm. not, in the, it's not, it's not Fox and Hare ethical investment, for example. Mm-hmm. It's, and, and, and essentially all of your outward facing communications, or not so like when you guys do PR, I see it a bit sort of turn up there, mm-hmm. but on, mm-hmm. like it's, it's not exactly the first thing. So it, what's kind of interesting is like you, you connect with the client on an individual basis. And I think intelligently that's to do with them. What are their, Correct. what do they want to achieve? And every, and, and the focus is very much on them. Now the question then is, and, and kind of interesting as, as I go along this sort of learning about ethical investing, the awkward part mm. or, or the potential for an awkward part is mm. uh, arriving at the question of ethical investing, right? Mm-hmm. And so because now, obviously, if it's in your business name, mm. well, then it's implicit and there's no, you know, there's, there's no conversation that's around it. But in a situation where you're, branding and your focus is on the individual rather than the investment philosophy. And so people Mm. are walking in because they're attracted to what you can do for them. 
And so I feel like the conversation then is positioned in a way that's very similar to anyone else, right? Any Mm. other company that's out there, right? And so how then do you introduce the topic of ethical investing and how do you avoid the off chance that someone goes, oh no, I'm not interested in that. And then the awkward silence and then they're assuming that you're judging them and that experience. So one simple question um, that we ask all of our members when they kind of first first um, sign up, is there anything you don't want to invest in? Cool. That's a good question. And that, and that is a really, they could go, no, nothing. Or they could say, oh, armaments, animal cruelty, um, gender equality, et cetera. And then that's when we, we build out that conversation. Because you're quite right. You don't want to go, do you want to invest ethically? Because that's, yes. really that's really putting someone on the spot. But if you yeah. say, if it, is, if it is something that they're, that they're conscious about, if they're concerned about, if it is something that they want to address, asking the question, is there anything you don't want to invest in, mm. then that, that will come up. Awesome. That's and that's, a- that's worked really well for us. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's a great way to introduce it. I like that. Uh, let's say, for example, someone says a really complicated mix, right? Which undoubtedly is going to happen. So then how do you mm. deal with, because of the different levels, right? So some mm. people just go, well, actually, um, I don't want to, I don't want to make money from any company that has anything to do with war, like mm-hmm. with bombing someone and you go, okay, well that's, you know, but then it might be, um, you know, all the way, I mean, there's, there's just so many yeah, lenses totally. that you can, that you can animal introduce. cruelty, gambling, yeah. alcohol, junk yeah. food, gender That's, equality, LGBTI. So how totally. do you, how do you deal with it? How do you, because at the end of the day, as the advisor, you've got mm. levers, but there's only so many levers that you can pull. Yeah. Um, how do you sort of take that conversation and do your job as the advisor to do the trade-off and get mm. them in a position where they're still within the bounds that they need to be, um, but mm. they're really happy of, uh, where they're at, even if it's at the expense of they didn't get everything they want. Totally. So we, we, we've built, a, I guess, an ethical portfolio that's made up of a number of ETFs that has a really extensive screening criteria. So it's looking at um, both positive and negative screens. So negative screens, so those doing damage, positive screens, like screening those companies in that aren't doing, that aren't doing positive. Um, and it has a really transparent screening process. Um, and it is very, very broad and um, in terms of what it's looking at. So there are, I suppose, sometimes I refer to those that have kind of a couple of screens almost as greenwashing. So, you know, you, um, you know, you screen out fossil fuels or you screen out armaments, but then it's got companies in there with terrible supply chains, you know, no, no focus on, on their employee engagement and things like that. So that's kind of, I would argue to some extent, kind of very diluted, um screening whereas we've kind of gone um and built this portfolio that is very very um how would i put this it's really stringent in terms of the screening and then what that means is it meets today it's met everyone that's kind of reached out to us it's met their their relevant criteria wow that's that's pretty impressive do you get to situations where um someone only wants a certain exposure uh, to, to ESG and um, do you, I guess the question is, 
do you guys have it or use the ESG if someone is as a core mm. um, or do you only ever focus it on as a satellite or, or, or entire uh, portfolio or how do you sort of run it? Good question. So probably two answers to that. So the first is we, it usually is core because if someone doesn't want to invest in armaments, like whether it's, you know, you're looking at the core of the satellite, they don't want to invest in armaments. Yeah, totally. Whether it's 50% or hundred percent. Yeah. Um, however, when investing ethically, there typically is a price premium um, yes. that funds and ETFs do, do charge. So we do need to take the individual circumstances into consideration in terms of how much they are investing. Um, because again, we don't want to be diluting their, their funds balance and things like that with significant fees. So in some circumstances, it might be a conversation of, um, yeah, understand you want to invest ethically. These are the costs associated with that. And then they might decide, mm, actually, you know what, that's pretty expensive. Maybe I'll just wait until my balance is a little bit higher. And those fees aren't as, you know, aren't as such a huge percentage of, of the current balance. So, you know, any, any approach, we, we will always show the member the different options. Like this is if we invest ethically, if this is if we look at, uh, I suppose, a portfolio without that, those ethical screens, and then it's really for, you know, talking through kind of the, the risks and et cetera, et cetera. And then they really decide which, which they feel more comfortable with. Yeah. Okay. Um, because one of the risks that, 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 that's often associated with investing ethically is there probably isn't the same track record or, you know, historical data that we have like your more traditional funds. Um, and again, you know, the members need to be across that. But yeah, it, it does come up in conversation and it's just about showing them the options and then they, they really decide what, what feels right for them. Awesome. Um, pivoting just ever so slightly, one of the most amazing things I've ever seen uh, a financial planning outfit create is the roadmap mm. now what we, your and jess's roadmap i i found was a really really interesting and um i think even at one stage it was either introduced or it was you know the idea was flirted with but it, it didn't uh come to being I, I have to ask after you know seeing it quite a while ago is there still a a completion date so to speak, I, I remember the concept of, um, you know, like five years down the line or if it was 10 years down the line or, or this, this idea. And, and again, I'm not sure if you ever implemented it, but this idea mm. that you would get clients to a certain point and then they would need to then almost re-agree to opt in and, and, and keep going. But there was kind of a graduation you were sort of trying to get people yeah. to. Yeah, so that that's that's kind of never eventuated. But what's what's what I've what we've kind of noticed um, now being opera, having operated for three years, a number of members have you know joined Fox and Hand, subscribed for kind of two years, and then they've kind of gone. Look, Glenn, my my strategy is now to get rid of some of this huge mortgage that I've just yeah. um, just embarked on. And they then, they might go, cool, thank you so much for all your help. And then they cancel their subscription. But in we, but they always leave on good terms. Mm. And, the, you know, we know in three to five years time, yeah. if they deviate and we have a kind of a process of reaching out with them on an annual basis, hey, still here if you need us, if anything's changed or if they feel like they've 
you know, they're not sticking to the strategy that we, we put forward, they would then reach back out to us. And we've, we've had that already. So we've had, you know, wow. members that, um, you know, they, they, they joined in the first kind of 12 months and they felt like their strategy was working for them and they just needed to stick to it. And then they've subsequently reached out and said, oh, look, we're probably not across our finances as much as we were three years ago. So we need to be, and this is something that Jess and I kind of talk about all the time. We, you know, our, our programs are designed to be flexible. And, you know, if, if the, the situation or their strategy is just for the next five years, keep doing more of the same because, you know, they, they don't envisage their circumstances or goals changing, then it's okay if they self-select out because we know that in due course, they will self-select back in when, when things kind of change in their world. So there's no graduation data as such, but, um, there's complete flexibility in our subscription model. Yeah, it was, it was, um, I think we spoke about it. It was quite early on. It was an idea that was floated, I think once. And I always thought to myself, well, I really have to chase that up to see if they ever, <laughs> uh, ever ended up doing it. Um, mate, you, you've got, I mean, just to see what it was like with you and Jess pre-opening. And then, I mean, we like to catch up. I guess we get to catch up on an, an annual basis at this stage. Is life's it's pretty like that, yeah. But, um, but it's been so cool and so amazing. And certainly you've even outdone the expectations that I personally thought that you guys would achieve. And I, I, I thought that you would achieve quite well, but just to see what's occurred and how it's being rolled out. Um, it's, it's one of those really good news stories, I think, for financial advice in general. If there's ever that worry that, you know, because financial advice is changing so much that it's going to make it uh, you know, uneconomic to, to, um, to get advice. Well, I mean, mm. looking at a company like Fox and hair or, or, or similar ones that are out there. Um, and, and no matter how good your, uh, your business is, you can only handle so many clients, right? So it's not totally. like because you guys are doing so well that no one else could ever reach that precipice either. There, there, there's, just, there's so many, there's so many people that need advice and, and I just think um, advisors like you and Jess are really sending a great message to market. And so uh, congratulations, man. Like I know I probably say it too much whenever we catch up, but I just love what you guys have achieved. Yeah, we're really fortunate and the advice industry has been really supportive of, 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 of what we're trying to trying to kind of build. And we have quite a number of advisors that, that actually refer us people that, you know, aren't, aren't appropriate for their business. You know, if, if they have someone in their thirties that doesn't have a lot of wealth, but, you know, earning, earning good, you know, six figures yeah. and it's just blowing it all. That is a perfect client for Fox and hair, right? Yeah. But it may not be a perfect, you know, a perfect client for a, a firm that's kind of traditionally working with pre pre and post retirees. Yeah. Um, interestingly, so the associate advisor that just joined us last week, he, ca he came from, I suppose, a more traditional financial advice firm. And he was like, God, you guys spend a lot of time on cash flow. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, because if our members blow everything that they earn, then we've got nothing to invest anyway. <laughs> you know, people are reaching out to us because they've gotten to a point, they're earning good money and they're like, I really need to do something with it. They're not reaching out to us because they've got copious amounts of wealth and they want to, you know, take a step back from work and, you know, start, start kind of that transition. It's, it's a very different experience that, um, that you know, I guess our, our members go through. Yeah, it's, it's a whole... Financial planning has 
graduated beyond the concept of the lump sum of money, whether that's a lump sum of investment or the lump mm-hmm. sum of debt, right? Mm-hmm. So it was always, the revenue was always attached to these lump sum, lump sums of insurance, right? These are mm-hmm. lump sums. And now it's, uh, well, someone can have no lump sums, but totally. just ha- have a high income of revenue. And traditionally that was a horrible, totally. uh, horrible client, but realistically it's a great client because now it's you've got someone perfect. who, yeah, you can help grow their wealth and then invest it and then, you know, take on a house. And there's a bunch of things. I mean, those kind of clients are, they're attracted to financial planning as well. And they, mm. they, 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 they probably have more of an immediate need an immediate desire because they're looking at the so much money just going through their bank accounts. And, um, mm. I mean, an advisor putting their hand up and saying, hey, uh, you're, you're an intelligent human. You've, you've clearly done well to get here. But, you know, I get help from other people who specialize in other things. And I'm sure if mm. you want to get help to go from here to here, you can ask me as well. And that's kind of what I'm here to do. Um, yeah. it's, it's valuable. It's um, obvious. It, it's the kind of financial planning where people go, oh yeah, that's financial planning. Like, so, so many people question, well, what is financial planning? You know, like how do you, do, well, what happens if you just help people with their day-to-day money? Like that's a, yeah. a pretty clear yeah. and obvious answer. Totally. And I mean, I think about, so I had a meeting uh, seven o'clock this morning, young couple, um, she's pregnant. He, um, so he, and she's not working at the moment. She's studying full time. Uh, he is on 200 grand a year. They have 50 grand in the bank account. Um, they've just bought a property and they're kind of starting to pay down that debt. And they're just like, what more can we be doing? Like, what else should, should I be doing? And that's a perfect, perfect member for us. Cause it's, you know, she's concerned that they have no grasp and kind of cash flow. And then, you know, she, um, she wants to start work once she, um, you know, has, the, has the kid and like, then they want to upgrade their house and but they're like, Oh, and he's got four super funds cause he used to work at Woolies and all this kind of stuff. And they're just like, mm, I just, and he hasn't done his tax return in three years. <laughs> like this is, people are constantly put their finances on the back burner. Yeah. The conversation just needs to be, bring it to the forefront, be proactive. And, you know, the, the, the common thread across all of our members is that their income and disposable income is increasing which is really exciting. And it's a conversation around, okay, if your income's increasing, what are we doing with that extra income? And the second of all is all our members have time on their side. So that the common thing is the sooner you get your shit sorted, mm. you know, the far better off you're going to be in the long run. So um, the challenge, the challenge with the demographic that we, that we work with, and this is kind of all of our marketing talks to well, what does an advisor actually do? How can an advisor actually help someone in their early 30s? And the assumption is that advice is just for old rich people. Yeah, totally. So, you know, if we can kind of break down those three um, barriers to entry, then you're going to get people thinking, going, oh, maybe I should think about this, Um, which is, yeah, which is kind of where what's worked really well for us. Yeah. I mean, how, how do you get people because I assume that that message is on your website. Mm-hmm. So, so how do you get is always, yeah, sorry. How do you get people to go to your website? What do you find as the, as the number one, uh, if you want to call it lead generator, which, you know, it's, it's not always the best way to call it, but how do you 
if, if your messaging is on your website, what's your yeah. best method to get people to see that messaging? So I'm just going to log into our fancy little dashboard here. So at the moment, 27% of our members come through from, so this is converted members, not prospects, but those have actually um, signed up. Yep. 27 are from referral partners. Right. Um, then we've then got about 16% come through the website. Right. Um, and then, so 26 become th come through from, uh, existing members referring their, their friends and family. And then the rest would come through from social, all the messaging social. on our webs, all, um, all of, and that's predominantly LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, but in terms of, in terms of kind of the messaging on the website, and this probably comes back to the question around, um, ESG as well. And, you know, how, how do they know that they should be reaching out to us for, for that kind of advice? Our messaging is always very inclusive. And what I mean by that is, you know, we don't just work with LGBTI, you know, we don't yeah. just work with young women. We don't yeah. just work with those that are looking to invest yeah. ethically, yeah. but focused on them as an individual, we work with everybody. Yeah. And it does, our website doesn't also, it doesn't say that we also work with young people. However, the way that we have branded it, the, the, the language we use, it just would not resonate with someone that was about to retire. Therefore, they don't reach out. That's we don't cool say we don't yeah. work with retirees. We yeah. just don't position our language yes. and branding to that demographic. That's really interesting. Yeah. So the front of the document, it, it doesn't have no oldies here. No. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Ages, so we might be ages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to be careful. Uh, <laughs> mate, look, with respect to your time, I'm so glad, you know, we're, uh, it's almost embarrassing. It's taken so long for, for me to interview. <laughs> interview you one-on-one -on -one like this it's been um yeah it's been so awesome to see what you do uh for your clients and do for the industry as a whole mate so congratulations on all the success so far loved thanks, having you mate. on and yeah looking forward to catching up hopefully sometime soon thanks mate appreciate it all right cheers take care